For 3,000 years, the fundamental confession of the people of God has been found in Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, the Shema. It's printed for you in the bulletin. Would you join me as we uh, confess our faith in God before we hear God's word together? Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Ahad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. The word of God comes from Paul in the letter to the Romans. Welcome one another, therefore, just as Christ has welcomed you in order to bring praise to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. I'm reminded of the great story that involved uh, the longtime Miami Dolphin coach, Don Shula. A few years after his retirement, one afternoon he walked into a movie theater, small theater, just a few people there. And as soon as he walked in, people started applauding. So he stood up and he turned around and he said, you know, I'm really surprised after all these years that you remember and know who I am. And one guy said to him, are we supposed to know you? The theater manager said he wouldn't start the movie till 10 people showed up and you're number 10. What? What if the church were a group of people who applauded you just for showing up? What if the church were a group of people who welcomed you just as you are? I believe that that was Jesus' dream for his community because that was Jesus' own practice. Jesus welcomed people that society and other rabbis simply didn't welcome. Jesus had women disciples, seven of them according to the scripture. Other rabbis didn't have women disciples. Jesus made a place for children. Most uh, teachers were too busy to include children in, uh, in their midst. But Jesus said, let the children come. Don't hinder them. Jesus included lepers and reached out and touched people that no one in society would touch. And Jesus included the tax collectors and other outcasts. Jesus was always about extending welcome. Jesus wanted his people to be a group of folks who always knew your name. And they were always glad you came. Do you remember that? Do you remember every time Norm walks into the bar, he is applauded just for showing up. Sociologist Ray Oldenburg studied taverns in Chicago. And he wrote a thesis on it and it became a book called uh, The Great Good Place. And in it, Oldenburg said that factory workers in Chicago had three places in their life that really kept them going. One was their home base uh, where they lived. One was their factory but where they worked. He said, but all of them needed this third place, what he called a great good place. And it was the corner tavern where people knew them and were glad that they had shown That's what Jesus dreams and wants for his people. And Paul knew this. And so in one of the most significant verses of the entire New Testament, Paul says, Welcome one another, therefore, just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Welcoming, hospitality, opening hearts and lives has always been a central core value of God's people. And I've thought for a while this week about why that was so. Why is it so important for God's people to welcome others? And I came up with a few ideas. One is that for most of their history, God's people have found themselves not welcome. They were slaves in Egypt, but they were only wanted for the cheap labor that they could produce. They later became exiles uh, in Babylonia, 
And then later the Persians took them over. But again, they weren't really welcomed. They were just used as slaves. And the Jews came to Rome in the days of the Roman Empire. And finally there in 49 AD, under Emperor Claudius, there was an edict that expelled all the Jews out of Rome. People lost their homes. People lost their livelihoods. God's people know what it's like to not be welcome. So I think that's one of the reasons welcoming is so important to God's people. I think God's people know the power of welcome. They, they've seen what it does in their own history. Moses is a fugitive from justice, a murderer who's escaped from Egypt. He shows up in Midian, and what happens? He's received He's welcomed Jethro and his family, open their lives to him. He marries one of Jethro's daughters. And for 40 years, he learns to be a shepherd. And God retrains Moses to lead his people. And people knew that that period of welcoming and hospitality was critical in the life and leadership of Moses. They knew the story of their own King David, who before he became king, spent much time running from King Saul who wanted to kill him. And how David only survived by finding groups of people who would open their lives to him and would welcome him. At the cave of Adullam, a group of men, 400 come and form a community on da- around David that will eventually become his army and his strength. It was their welcome that kept David alive till he could become king. And then... In the New Testament, we learn the story of Timothy. Now, Timothy's an interesting case because his father's a Greek and his mother is a Jew, which means he doesn't fit either culture. And according to the Jewish law, he was considered uh, ineligible to study Scripture, to worship in the synagogue. And yet, this outcast, this half-breed, Paul adopts and takes into his own family and welcomes Timothy. And one day... Timothy will become pastor of the largest church in the world at the time, in the first century, in Ephesus. Power, there's a power and welcome that God's people know. Perhaps God's people know the scriptures that show that every time in the scriptures people seem to open their tents and their lives to the strangers, they get blessed. Abraham and Sarah have gone years without a child. Then one night a stranger visits them. They open their home to the stranger and he tells them within a, a year... You will have a child. And the stranger, of course, turns out to be God. There is a story in Elijah's day of a widow who's so poor that she's down to her last meal. Elijah comes to visit her and says, do you have anything to eat? And she said, well, just a little bit here. I was going to eat it and die. I mean, that's it. Nothing in the cupboard. No prospects. And Elijah asks her for some. And a miraculous thing happens as long as she keeps feeding Elijah, food continues to show up. And then his successor wanders in to the home of a childless couple and they build him a special room. And they said, whenever you're in town, you can have this room. And soon the childless couple has a child. And the child even dies and God, through the prophet, raises the child back to life. God's people know the miracles that occur when you open your life to another person. That's why the author of Hebrews said that we ought to welcome the stranger, he said, because a lot of people have entertained angels and they didn't even know it at the time. Maybe that's why. It's such a core value for God's people that they know what it's like to be strangers. They know the power and miracles that take place and blessings in hospitality. But for me... I think it's this. 
There's probably no better indicator of my relationship with God than the relationship I have with people who I do, uh, who I do not know very well. People who are not my family. The stranger. The person who's different from me. One of Jesus' disciples, John, put it this way. Any person who claims to love God but hates his brother or sister is a liar. John was saying that there is a real tight relationship between um, uh, your relationship with God and your relationship with others. That both are required. It's the cross that goes vertically and horizontally. The great reformer Dorothea Day put it this way. She said, I only love God as much as I love the person I love the least. Can you imagine? There's some days I guess I don't love God very much. I only love God as much as I love the person I love the least. We're called to welcome. It is the most accurate indicator of where we stand with God. And that is how do we treat the stranger, the new person in our midst. We're called to welcome them. Well, what does that mean? Gina began to explore that with the children. And essentially, I think what it means is to embrace a person who's different from you. Embrace and receive a person who is different. Paul had said that one of the things you're going to have to do as the people of God is start to overlook these differences. And what he told the Galatians was this. When it comes to Christ, there's no male nor female. There's no Jew nor Greek. There's not slave nor free. All those distinctions, all those excuses we used to use to avoid each other, we can't use them anymore in the people of God because those distinctions are insignificant. We overlook them so that we can receive and embrace one another. To embrace is to make a place for that person. I think to embrace is to allow that person to make uh, an impact in your life. It's to allow them into life and especially to receive whatever gifts they may bring you. It's not to just say, okay, you're here, and then like little children who are three years old engage in some sort of parallel play, you do your thing, they do theirs. But it's to do your things together and let them bring to the table what it is they bring. Fascinating things occurred in, uh, in our uh, shelter. Uh, you you received, as you worked with people, such wonderful gifts from the people. Gifts of testimony and gifts of faith. One particular guy had an amazing gift of helping all the other evacuees sort of navigate their way through the social system. And to watch him at work was truly uh, amazing. He had a place to give his gifts. And they were received. That's what it is to welcome. It's not to tolerate somebody. Tolerance is so overrated. I wish we'd just take it out of our society. I don't want to be tolerated. I don't want to be tolerated. I want to be welcomed. I want to know that my gifts count and I can use them with yours. Well, how would we go about welcoming? Let me give just a few hints. First of all, it starts with your eyes. You can't welcome somebody that you don't notice and that you don't see. It starts with noticing the unnoticeable. You probably would be amazed, or maybe you're not, at how unnoticed so many people feel in life. They feel like they're just another number in the computer. They just feel like they're another seat in, in a cubicle that goes on and on and on. People need to know that they have been noticed, that they are present. I love the African greeting that goes like this. In one part of Africa, you meet somebody on the road, and you will say to them, I see you, and their response is, here I am. It's as if until you notice them, they're not really there. 
And that's how life works. Hospitality, that's how welcoming works. We first have got to notice that they are there. It starts with our eyes, moves to our hands as, as we appropriately greet and welcome them. Uh, it was uh, in one of my early churches where there was a great debate in the board meeting one night because a lot of people just didn't like passing the peace. Oh, I was trying to worship and concentrate, and the pastor told us to get up and greet each other. Oh, I hate that. I didn't come. If I wanted to do that, I'd go. And then it just went back and forth, and, and I tried to explain them. You know, friends, this goes back to the first century. It's here in the Bible, and none of that mattered. I was about to give up. And an older widow in our church who was there in the board raised her hand and she said, well, I don't know, Pastor, but I do want to tell you this. During the peace on Sunday morning is the only time all week that I touch another human being. Argument ceased. Class and meeting dismissed. And we kept doing it. People need to be noticed, but there's also something about touch that lets them know they're really there and they count. And then finally, we need to use our words in appropriate ways to welcome people, to not only greet them, but to encourage them. There's nothing that rolls up the welcome mat and stashes it away faster than to not speak well of a person who's in your midst, to gossip about them or criticize them in some way, rolls up the welcome mat immediately. We, we speak to them positively. We look for what we can affirm, and we'll talk about this in future weeks, and we affirm it, and that makes people feel that they've been noticed, that they are welcome. So we use our eyes to see they're there, our hands to touch in appropriate ways, and to speak words of encouragement and welcome. And we do that because we're a church, and it's the most welcoming environment in the world. I've been sitting and standing here, by the representatives of the Lord's table, the cup and the bread. And you need to know that there are no qualifications for coming to the Lord's Supper. It's the most open, welcoming, democratic event in the planet. There are no reserved seats. There's no skybox for the Lord's Supper. There's no front row and somebody's on row 10. Just everyone come. There's no distinction between high or low, great or not so great, tall or short. There's none. You're just, when you come to the Lord's Supper, welcome. That's all there is to it. You're just welcome. And it's that welcome that has the power through the Holy Spirit to change lives. We've been using a book uh, this fall called Love One Another by Gerald Sitzer. In the book... He tells a story of, of John Merrick, and you're probably familiar with John Merrick. Uh, John Merrick, uh, when he was a young boy, his physical deformities were such that he was picked up and put in a, a freak show, in a sense, in a circus. Five years old, swept away, put in a circus. His nickname was the Elephant Man, and people came to gawk at his physical deformity. But late in the 19th century, Dr. Frederick Trevor's got interested in him and began to spend some time and lo and behold was stunned that the elephant man could read and write and was actually quite eloquent. Apparently, before they stole him away to put him in the circus, he had learned to read and write by the time he was five years old. He was a person of great depth, intelligence, and compassion, and the doctor discovered this. And the doctor decided the next step was to try to help other people discover it, so he engaged on a great experiment 
one day he decided it was time for someone to meet John Merrick, but not in a circus. And so he took him to the house of a friend who was a widow. When they got to the front door, she opened the door. She smiled at Merrick, took his hand in hers and clasped it, and brought them inside. But Merrick fell to his knees and started sobbing. And he told Dr. Trevor's, that that was the first time a woman had ever smiled at him. That that was the first time a woman had ever touched his hand. And Trevor's wrote in his journal that from that moment on, he began to watch John Merrick change slowly but surely. Maybe not so much physically, but in other profound ways. He had been welcomed. And that welcome began to change his life. Jesus wants that. Wants that kind of welcome for all of his people. And Jesus intends that in the church they will find it.